For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Marina, New Zealand, good morning to you on this uh, Wednesday morning. Devilishly cold around uh, New Zealand this morning, so I hope you're nice and warm in whatever you are doing. Uh, we've got a, um, an interesting show this morning. Uh, it was 24 hours ago, actually, about now that uh, the Black Caps are named there, have named uh, a squad or two squads actually to uh, play the associate countries in the Northern Hemisphere. And Michael Rippon was uh, the only new name within the group. We will be talking to Michael very quickly on his story of uh, how he's come to be a black cap and uh, his difficult art, actually, of left arm wrist spin. Bryn Hall, just after 10 o'clock this morning. Uh, Bryn, of course, is uh, a departing Crusaders halfback off to uh, Japan next. And uh, honestly, he's been a wonderful servant of North Harbour Rugby and uh, Crusaders Rugby, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that with Bryn and the celebrations, etc. The panel will be Andrew Gordy and uh, Patrick McKendry just after uh, uh, 20 past 10 this morning. 11.04, um, talking about uh, appointments and new names. Clark Dermody uh, was named yesterday as the Highlanders head coach and uh, long-serving Southland rugby player, of course. He's spent a little bit of time playing for London Irish, uh, but of course uh, his heart and soul is in uh, the Deep South and now he is going to be their head coach. Good story that, so we'll talk to Clark Dermody just after 11 o'clock. We'll have a stump smithy as well and uh, of course uh, we'll just uh, touch base with a few other things throughout the next three hours. Look forward to it. Sport is our religion and here is Smithy Sermon. Well, I haven't written anything today. I just made a few notes uh, just briefly. Actually, I wasn't going to do one, and then I started to read about this uh, saga that is continue, uh, continuing to unfold, and that is the fact that Australia may well just pull out of uh, Super Rugby because they ain't, uh, don't feel they're getting enough rewards for it. And their, uh, their chairman, Hamish McKinnon, has uh, already put a shot over the bow, or it was perceived as being a shot over the bow, but uh, he's come back with more, actually, because uh, having received some criticism from uh, former All Blacks and uh, this side of the Tasman, and even on reflection um, from Dave Rennie saying, uh, let's continue to have uh, footy between the two countries at that level, he's laughed in the face of that criticism. He says, I don't care about it. It makes me laugh. Um, so w- we know now that we're dealing with some sort of uh, bloke who is going to be aggressive towards New Zealand, Hamish McLennan. So... And it was a dollar one in shortening too that Phil Kearns would jump in on the back of it. Of course, Phil Kearns at one point was going to be the boss of Australian rugby, but missed out. They didn't want him. Uh, and it's not surprising that he said, let's go it alone. We can do it. Uh, we can do it with the Moana Pacifica, Fiji and Drua. They'll stick with us, of course. They're great friends of ours. Well, does he know that for sure? Do you know that, Phil? And why, why do you really want to take your bat and ball and, and play in your own backyard by yourselves? Is it because you're just sick of losing? Is it because, you know, Phil Kearns hates losing to us? Have they just had enough of uh, not being able to win and being around at the right time? And yet they're only a penalty away, a penalty decision away 
from having a team in the grand final this year. The, the Brumbies were so close to knocking the Blues out. So what is the issue, really? Will it close the gap internationally? Uh, how can it? How can the, the uh, Wallabies get closer to the All Blacks? How can they possibly, if they're playing substandard rugby against uh, players who aren't quite up to it, week after week after week? So Dave Rennie is the voice of reason over there. Mark Robinson has uh, done the right thing here. He's uh, made one comment, and that is, let's just deal with it the right way. That is at board level, behind the scenes. Let's not deal it as a, a fight in the media. So Hamish McLennan, look out for him. Look out for Andy Marinos and look out for Australia in the next uh, two to three months as this continues to unfold. But it doesn't seem like in Hamish McLennan they've got a guy who's going to back down in a hurry. It's starting to become a bit of a mess. takes a good ball to get a great player out and that's exactly what Michael Rippon's done. He gets another one Rippon. Taylor goes for 11. It's 186 for 3. Well that was highlights of uh, Michael Rippon uh, taking wickets uh, against some pretty good players there. Uh, He's got an incredibly uh, hard art to perform and that's left arm wrist spin. But yesterday it was decided by the Black Caps selectors that we want to see at an international level. So he's the sole new face named in the Black Caps squads to play against the associate nations in Ireland and Scotland and in the Netherlands. Michael's been applying his trade to leg spin uh, or left arm leg spin bowling. Uh, for the Otago Volts, he's previously represented uh, Netherlands 31 times, so he's had a taste of international cricket. Also, of course, uh, he's got a background in South Africa as well. Uh, welcome to the show, uh, Michael. Uh, congratulations on your selection. How does it feel to say, after all that sacrifice, coming all that way from South Africa, you're going to be a black cap? Hi, Smithy. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on the show. It's um, yeah, it's been quite a surreal 24 hours, to be honest. Um, yeah, it's been a it's been a hell of a journey. Um, obviously, left South Africa in 2010, and then sort of uh, been travelling with the Netherlands. Um, but yeah, I've been, been pretty settled in, in New Zealand since 2017 and um, yeah, it's been a personal goal of mine for the last couple of years. So yeah, thoroughly thrilled and um, looking forward to the experience. So this is a, good, uh, a really good commitment from you, Michael, because of course uh, once you've gone from an associate country to a fully fledged test nation as such, you can't go back. So it wouldn't, wouldn't have been an easy decision, I would imagine, would it? Um, no, it actually wasn't that hard a decision. Um, yeah, obviously since moving here in 2017, I initially only came over for a month as an overseas replacement. Um, but yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed my time. I uh, love the culture, love the people. Um, yeah, so it wasn't that hard a decision. It's, yeah, it's something that I've always wanted to do and um, yeah, I've had my mind firmly set on that. Interesting, uh, your background. I, you know, obviously, I've I've done a, a little bit of research on that. Your upbringing um, originally in South Africa. Um, tell us, uh, tell us about the way that um, you went the cricket way over there, and and uh, the development they had you had through the age groups, etc., to the point where you were playing for the Cape Cobras, the Western Province, etc. 
Yeah, I just yeah, sort of came through the uh, Western Province ranks. So you know, I played 13, 15s, uh, 17s, and 19s, and then um, and then from there, it sort of my growth got accelerated quite quite quickly. I sort of got pushed out of school um, and sort of came in, I guess, as a as a wild card for the uh, Standard Bank 2020 um, back then. So yeah, things happened quite quickly for me, and then um, yeah, after that uh, first season, I got a I broke my collarbone and. Um, uh, Sussex County Cricket Club were down in Western Province doing a pre-season camp, and I, I was bowling to them in in the nets. And um, yeah, they asked me if I'd be keen to go over there for a trial, and um, it was something I always wanted to do: go over and experience county cricket. So yeah, that's sort of where I shifted over to the UK and got involved with with the Netherlands. Okay, let's uh, look at your particular art in the game. Now, history says you will be the first uh, left-arm wrist spinner uh, to ever play for New Zealand. Now, that's 92 years of history. Um, it's a it's an extremely difficult art that you've chosen. Uh, how did you how did you become left arm wrist spin as opposed to orthodox? Um, well, I, like most kids, I actually started off bowling medium pace and wasn't very good at that. So took up um, orthodox spin, and I always had the natural ability to to bowl leg spin. But growing up, when I was twelve, thirteen, fourteen, um, obviously my stock ball was orthodox ball, and then the leg spin was my variation. But when you hit fifteen, the the difference is, is too big in, in terms of the variation. So when I was 15, I made the decision to switch permanently to, to um, Rispin. And, yeah, it was sort of like it was quite a tough time to do that, you know, switching at 15 or 16, obviously not having the control and all that. So, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed the challenge of trying something new. And I also thought pretty much for, for this exact reason that um, further down the line there'd be a few more opportunities presenting itself. Okay, so uh, who's been your influence on that? Because as I say, it's a rare art. I mean, I can recall, and, and people at home now will recall uh, Paul Adams. Who, who I think he was described as a bit of a, f- a frog in a blender or something. Uh, I think some people used to describe him. His was extremely unusual. He ended up coaching um, bowling as well at, at uh, the Cape Cobras, etc. Was there a crossover there? Was there any contact there? Yeah, there, there was a little bit of contact. Um, as I was coming through, he was uh, the spin bowling consultant. So, yeah, it was nice to chat to Paul because obviously when you have an action like that, you obviously get a lot of technical advice. So, um, yeah, I guess he was a signing board in my early years at um, Western Province. But I guess the, the motivation to switch to Rispin was, was the great or late Shane Warne. Um, yeah, he, just watching him on TV, that wanted me to, to bowl Rispin. Um, yeah, so I guess that's when I decided I want to do that on a full-time basis. Incredible. Okay, that's a great uh, great incentive to have. Okay, so since your time down, uh, you chose uh, uh, to to play for Otago. You got contracted early on, then you've got another full-time contract, etc. Uh, who, who's who's you working with down there or within New Zealand ranks? Are you able to, to, to source anyone? Um, yeah, well, like I suppose we've obviously got, you know, sources within the uh, with, within our domestic team, um, initially when I came over, we had um, our head coach Rob Walter and assistant coach Anton Rue. They were very influential in my development when I first came over. Um, you know, and then we're obviously very lucky with you know with the staff that we got with New Zealand cricket and our current uh, coaching support staff. So yeah, we we're not short of any resources, that's for sure. Well, you've played cricket um, all over the place, South Africa. Of course, for Sussex as well, and and uh, Canada as well. So it's not like uh, you're a newbie. You're 30 years of age, and quite often they say spinners mature quite late. So that you've got that in your favour. 
Yeah, I've I've always looked up to someone like a Brad Hogg. Um, obviously, I watched him quite closely, um, and I actually thought when obviously he retired, I'm not sure of his exact age. Must have been 35 or 36, and then he came back uh, when he was 40. And when he was 40, he looked almost better than when he was 35. So that sort of motivates me that you know I've got a yeah quite a few more years left in the tank, and and that you never quite reach a ceiling. Um, that quite motivates me. I don't really like the phase of you know spinners hit their peak when they're 30 because then you sort of think that you've got to go down. So. Um, mm. Yeah, I've, I, I, yeah, I love talking to like a guy like Ish Sodi. You know, um, I feel with this art, with Rispin specifically, obviously with all arts, but you can always improve, you can always grow. Um, yeah, so that is sort of some of my motivation. That I'm never going to be at my peak, but that's something that I want to strive towards. I think there's a real push too, particularly in white ball cricket. Uh, Michael for uh, spin bowlers uh, and um, you know Ish is experienced um, of course you've got Mitchell Santner in the group as well and, and I think particularly when you're playing in different parts of the world it, it's such an asset to have are you predominantly I mean this is a white ball tour this one but are you, are you, are you open to, to red ball cricket to test cricket as well? Yeah I'm an absolute cricket nuffy so I love all forms of the game I, I do love the longest format I feel that's the format um I feel it's the toughest format, but it's also the most enjoyable format. You know, you can obviously do your skill for an extended or long period of time. Um, but I think naturally with my skill set, it does uh, suit the shorter format, as we've seen with a lot of wrist spinners on the T20 circuit at the moment. But, um, yeah, it's something I definitely want to strive towards, playing playing Red Bull cricket. Yeah. Okay, let's look at your varieties. And uh, one of the things you talked about, the late, great uh, Shane Warners, who's ever always looking to, to try something else, to, to bring something new into the game, to, to add to his arsenals as such. As, uh, what, what are your varieties looking like? Are you continuing to try and develop those? Yeah, well, I guess one of the things with Warn was, um, you know, people always say he's bluffing and stuff because there's only so much he can actually do, which is true to an extent. You know, you can either turn the ball left, right, but... There's so many variances within that. You can obviously change your degrees of spin, your change of the pace. So it's the subtle variations that uh, create the most mystery, I think. So, um, yeah, it's small things, you know, whereas changing seam angles, changing your grips and, and all of that. So always learning and always looking for, for new ideas. What about when you like to bowl? Um, could you bowl? Do you bowl with a, a new ball very often as a, a, an opening variation as such, or you prefer an older ball? No, I'm not too fast. Um, generally, in the T20 stuff, I bowl. I might bowl one in the power play, and then mostly through the middle. That's my job is to try and take take wickets through the middle. But um, no, I enjoy bowling with a new ball. Mostly our trainings and stuff. Um, we got to yeah. We obviously get a new um, box of, of brand new balls. So you know, coach gives yeah. that to the spinners and says, "Yeah, we got boys. Can you make this ball a little bit older for the you know for the death guys and stuff?" So um, yeah, it's something that we do on a day in day out basis training with all different types of balls, okay. you know, sometimes wetting the balls to get used to the dew factor and all that. So do you regard yourself as a container or a wicket taker? I, my, my mindset is always to try and take wickets. Good answer. Absolutely good answer. Hey, uh, what, what about... Um what about contact with uh, your your Netherlands team, your Netherlands teammates? Have you had much of that in the last twenty four hours or so? Bearing in mind you're going to be seeing them very shortly. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm obviously on a few of the uh, WhatsApp groups, so I've been getting a bit of banter there the last couple of hours. Um, yeah, I haven't really given them that much to be honest, but I might have to exit the groups pretty soon. Um, no, but it's yeah, obviously they've been a big part of my development and. 
you know, they obviously gave me a platform to play international cricket for so many years. So I'm, I'm always going to be grateful for that. And I suppose with this selection, that is the end of my Dutch career. But, um, yeah, I, I suppose I wish them all the best and I'll be following them closely. Okay, so what do you know of the surfaces um, because you've played um, some of uh, the associate cricket as such up in the UK region? What about the surfaces you're likely to bowl on in Ireland, Scotland, and the Netherlands in particular, which you know quite well? Are they conducive for yeah. you? Yeah, I thought uh, I haven't been to Holland now for a couple of years, three or four years, but I, I used to always think the wickets in Holland were quite low and slow. But uh, last week, watching that English game and seeing almost 500 um, scored on the board, uh, yeah, big to different. I think the, I think the wickets are pretty good. I was going to say, I mean, you get Josh Butler in the mood, though, mate. Um, I, I don't think anything's going to stop him uh, the way he's hitting it at the moment. Uh, exciting times. And the, the other thing, I, of course, we should acknowledge is the fact that you, you know, you're more than handy with the bat as well. So how do you divide your, your time in, in terms of preparation? Uh, I'm generally just 50-50. Um, so I try, and, yeah, I try and spend equal amount of time on, on uh, batting and bowling. Uh, Michael, it's uh, exciting, really exciting time for you. Um, I, I think that um, it's an art that is so interesting to watch, to talk about, to commentate on. I just love the fact that you're going to be part of it. So um, it's going to be interesting, and um, I, I wish you all the best, mate. You've made history. The first in 92 years of New Zealand cricket to perform your art at international level is something very, very special. Prepare well, travel safely, stay uh, COVID-free, and good luck for the tour, eh? Thanks, Matty. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah, cheers. That's Michael Rippon, folks. Uh, he is the latest black cap uh, of the ones uh, named yesterday, uh, and that is on the tour of Ireland, Scotland, and the Netherlands. 31 games uh, for the Netherlands in white ball cricket. Um, uh, South African by birth. Uh, gone the same pathway, really, as, as Neil Wagner, to be honest. Uh, made the commitment to come here and made Otago his original base, and uh, it's all been... Uh, going forward from that point onward, we spoke to Gavin Larson about him yesterday. He said he's had something extremely interesting and extremely new about it. So uh, let's uh, hope that that can develop because if you've got a wrist spinner and we've seen how good uh, the likes of Brad Hogg were when he was effective, he was almost unplayable. And I'll tell you what, he was doing it at the age of around about 36, 37. So there's uh, really no bounds for age in terms of good spin bowlers. Let's hope uh, Michael Rippon. Uh, gets the confidence and the, the bowling and the success to continue onwards. It's 9.21 here on SENZ. New Zealand for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, I've had uh, a few texts in this morning, uh, one informative one from Brad to say there's another left-arm Chinaman in the Canterbury setup, Blake uh, Coburn, he's quality as well. Now, uh, what Brad means there is a uh, quali- uh, Chinaman bowler. Um, I would imagine there's uh, quite a few Asian people playing cricket down in uh, Christchurch, but uh, Chinaman, and that is an interesting phrase because it's basically been outlawed from cricket. It was around for around about 115 years and then people decided that it wasn't uh, the right thing to say uh, because it, was, it had racist connotations, I guess, to bowl a Chinaman. And it uh, stemmed way back to uh, a time in the uh, 1930s, an early time when um, Alice Archong, who was uh, playing for the West Indies, who was Trinidadian-born, he got English batsman Walter Robbins out, stumped, batsman running past one. And as the batsman Walter Robbins left the crease cursing, he said, fancy being done by a bloody Chinaman. And uh, to 
To which the West Indies' Larry Constantine, who is one of the great players, replied, you mean the bowler or the ball? Uh, they, that way the term Chinaman was actually invented. So it wasn't uh, really done uh, in a racist sort of a way. It was just a play on words, really. And then commentators and analysts and writers of the game adopted that term to describe a left-arm wrist-spin bowler as a Chinaman bowler. Uh, so there you go. That uh, is one of the other cricketing terms which has uh, been outlawed right up there alongside third man, 12th man, batsman, um, who uh, I can tell you after 30 years of calling those particular players that particular way, it's damned hard to stop. Uh, and I, I can see why, you know, with the women's game emerging that they'd want to outlaw those terms because, of course, third man is not a man. Third, uh, third in that position, of course, is a woman player. 12th is not a man. 12th is a woman batsmen no so they've gone to batters and i can see what they're talking and when it comes to that but i don't know why the mcc outlawed it when it comes to men's cricketers uh, because uh, those terms are applied to that and I, I don't think they're uh, sexist or anything terms they're just actually descriptive of positions which people in the game are very comfortable with so you know particularly if you were listening on the radio for instance you know exactly where third man was third is something that you take a little bit of time getting used to so anyway uh, just a little background knowledge on left arm wrist spin bowling and it's a, a really really tough art to perform and that's why you see so many of them they're like uh, crocodiles or hen's teeth or wide mouth frogs you just don't see many around of them these days but uh, anyway it's coming up to uh, 9 30 and that means of course after 9 30 we shall uh, open up the lines this morning what are we going to talk about? I mean, uh, are we getting concerned now about Australia breaking away? What, in your opinion, uh, give us a call on 0800 Are you worried that Australia might threaten to take us away? This is the chairman of the board talking, Hamish McLennan. He's not the CEO. He's actually the guy uh, who sits uh, at the head of the body that makes those decisions, Hamish McLennan. And so once he's become outspoken to that nature, when chairmen do that, they're almost committed to what they're saying. So is he just get, trying to scare us? And is it scaring us? Is it scaring you? 0800 Can you imagine uh, a super rugby competition without Australia? What, what would it look like for New Zealand? Would it, would it weaken us? Uh, would you get sick of us? Uh, the same teams, six teams playing week after week after week without uh, looking at other players coming in from overseas. Uh, look, there's a lot of things to consider here, and who's to say it's ever going to happen? But just, just speculating. So 0800 what would it mean? What would it mean if Australia left Super Rugby? It was to be no more as we know it at the moment, Trans Tasman. Uh, the other thing I might like to talk about is the cricket test starting tomorrow night. It's a dead rubber one. Uh, New Zealand against England at uh, Headingley, a ground there we've won twice already. Uh, so, what would you like to see in terms of the makeup of our side? I would bet my bottom dollar most you would like to see Neil Wagner in the 11. So, please, please, uh, can you uh, get on the line 0800 150811? After the news here with Aroha. Talkback time with Smithy. Call now 0800 150 811. It is 9.33 here on SENZ. Uh, we've got a couple of calls on the board already. 0800 150 811, uh, whatever your subject is. Um, and it could be, uh, are you worried about uh, uh, Australia? Cutting ties with us at super rugby level and just going it alone. Uh, who do you think it's going to hurt? Who do you think it's going to benefit? Love to hear your thoughts on that. On the back of uh, Hamish McLennan, their uh, chairman, 
diving in and saying uh, we are not good partners. We are not good partners, not good people to deal with, and we can do without you. Um, so, and Phil Kearns, of course, who's long been an advocate of anything that New Zealand is uh, going on, he hates, uh, is right on the on his heels, snapping away as well. So, uh, yeah, Neville's called in this morning. G'day, Neville. How, how's things down in Dunedin? Uh, pretty fine. We've got a lovely day, believe it or not. Um, just a throwaway line on the rugby. They'd be nuts to, um, um, you know, pull out a super thing. It wouldn't be the same without the Aussie. But anyway, look, I just want to talk a wee bit about the golf, with the Live Golf Tour. Um, and the latest news, of course, is Fox um is going to move to the Live Golf Series. Um, I wrote a story on it on the 18th. And the ones who are who are, we might see on the list um, this week when they tell us who's going could well include Morikawa, Victor Holland and Alexander Shoffley. Um, the other one who's been sort of rumoured for a week is Ricky Fowler. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens um, if they do get, you know, these big names moving as well. Um, something's going to have to move. Um, I really I really think the PGA Tour have got it wrong. Um, I know it's all very well to say you've got rules, but um, I think dialogue might have been a better way to go when this thing was starting to rear its ugly head and, and look at it and say, hey, we might be going for this format in our season. Um, it's a bit like cricket with its one day and its 2020. Um, if they could fit it into the program over a whole year, um, we won't have all this... Um, Horrible them and thing, which seems to be what's happening now. I don't know what you think. Um, well, yeah. okay, uh, Neville, I can tell you what, what I think. I'm a bit of a conventional sort of a guy, to be honest. Um, one of the things I, I really like about uh, the, the PGA and the golf, etc., are the majors. Um, you know, they're a real highlight, plus the Players' Championship. So, Neville, you're looking at five, really, tournaments of real focus that I... I tend to take notice of. Uh, and the question is, of course, um, eligibility for those particular uh, events. So, I mean, we saw the atmosphere at the Canadian Open. That's a PGA-governed event. We saw the uh, the atmosphere, the goings-on, the drama, etc., at the US Open, which is a US Golf Association-administered event. So two different bodies there. Uh, so we can see that golf is alive and well um, in, you know, in America as such. I'm with you. Uh, I, I will also say, Neville, I was pretty much anti the IPL when it started because I thought it would uh, take players away from the game, detract from uh, the more conventional styles of cricket. <clears throat> but they found a window, and they found a window out of pressure. And it was uh, Indian money, um, and the ICC simply had to bow down and say, yep, there is scope, you can play that tournament, the players can get their big money, uh, and we can move on, hopefully, with a much more condensed season. Uh, but we can still move on and, and uh, apply our, our trade to the more traditional forms of the game. So, you know, I, I, I was a bit of that. Uh, and I'm a little bit now, Neville, thinking that this is the way. And I, I think you might have sp- uh, spotted a good thing here. Finding an abbreviated window uh, within the tours 
where everyone can take part for their you know their big jackpot bonus money i i think is a a, a real possibility and if you as you say those names continue to go now we're talking about major winners there terrific golfers and young golfers not just old ones neville they're young golfers who are still a long way away from anything like um, you know the hallowed years of their careers as such they're just developing as players if they lose those, surely on a daily basis, Neville, they must be sitting up and taking notice and getting worried. If they're not, they're stupid, aren't they? I would say that's dead right. The young guy in Aussie, he's only won the, um, oh, he won a recent big, big event. Jed, Jed, Jed Morgan, I think his name was. He only about 22, and he made the decision, and he gave his reason. Um, I just think Jane Monaghan has got to come down off his high horse. Um, I'll tell you another good thing, you know, how they're talking about this dirty money. Um, the CEO of Live Golf responded and says, well, hang on, how is it 23 of your sponsors on the PGA Tour do $43 billion worth of business with the Saudis? And um, the moral high ground... It's very difficult to dig your heels in on, unfortunately. But I must do. I I, um, I just look at this as T20, and so why not let us fit it in? And um, and, and everyone's going to be happy instead of we've, we've got players slagging off other players, and oh, just not look the game. And as as you say, the majors are so sensational to watch. Um, you know, watching them come down the 18th and you don't know who's going to win. I mean, you can't beat it. Um, if you've no. got a whole field of all finishing at the same time, well, look at the hands of the excitement. Yeah, I mean, you'd love to talk to one of those high-profile golfers, you know. I mean, Tiger Woods is, is an exception because, um, you know, he's got so much money, he doesn't have to make decisions like that these days. And, and a lot of these guys have, I mean... You know, the, the bulk of those guys that win on that tour or finish in the top 10, 15 in any one year are pretty much set up for life, to be honest, except uh, they have a different lifestyle than, than we're used to over there. So, you know, their boats aren't dinghies, if you know what I mean. They, they, um, they operate in a different space. So to maintain that kind of lifestyle, I suppose they have to earn at a very, very high rate. But, you know, you only have to in this particular tour. And that's the other thing that's going to happen here. That, you know, are they going to continue to be three-round events, the LIV ones? Are they going to continue to restrict the field? Because what you can clearly see happening here is when people like Shoffley go, when people like Morikawa, etc., Kepka, add their names to the list, Hovland, etc., that's bumping four or five players out the backside of it. You know, the, the four or five or six young guys that were in it last week won't be in it this next time around because these blokes are coming and they're much more attractive to the, the Saudi uh, the Saudi market as such. So it's going to impact and it's um, it's it's only going to be, um, you know, the Robin Hood theory. Um, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. So uh, I don't quite know how you uh, take from the rich and give to the poor once all the rich start to play in that league. Simple as that. Neville, thank you very much uh, for your call this morning. Very very opinionated on, on golf, very informed on golf. I love chatting to you about that. Uh, Zaid, good morning to you. Good morning. So we've had these big stories coming out this week. Um, I think was it um, Monday we had the swimming 
And then now, yesterday, we had the rugby league. I'm talking about the transgenders. So is it going to come to a thing where we're just going to have to have competitions for transgenders, competition for women, and competition for males? Um, obviously, because, well, you can't have... As we know, as we know, we're all we're guys. Obviously, you can't well, you can't go from a guy to a woman because you've got you've got more muscles, you've got more bone density. Um, obviously, it's a lot harder. I know um, we've had like obviously athletes in the last few years, such as Custer Semenya, and then last year we had Laurel Hubbard also in the weightlifting, and they do obviously have an advantage because they've grown up most of their life having uh, being a man, and then now they want to change to a female. I mean, so they've grown up most of their life, yeah, as a man and wanting to change to a female. I'm fine with, like, if you're not comfortable within your skin, but you just can't compete with females if you've been a male before because, yeah, you're just way stronger than all the other females. So it's clearly not a, it's clearly not a fair game because you've got an advantage. Um, and on the cricket, it's real good to see Michael Rippon as a wrist spinner. Um, also, another r- real good wrist spinner I've seen is probably best best in the world right now is um, Rashid Khan, isn't it? Well, Rashid Khan is a right-arm leg spinner as such, and they're a lot more common, uh, Zaid, as you well know, than left-arm wrist spinners. Left-arm wrist spinners are very, very rare, and to be able to master that art is um, is a real feather in your cap, actually. So for us to have that, uh, that available to us, I'm, I'm going to be really interested to see how well Michael Ruppin plays on this tour and how often they actually uh, do give him opportunities to play. Uh, I think he should pretty much um, play every game. I mean, you know, you don't develop those sorts of things without um, exposure at the highest level. And the highest level he will be playing at the moment is against Associate Nations. That's the highest level he has been playing because he was playing for an Associate Nation in the Netherlands. So uh, it's it's only going to be good if we we see him um, bowl it a lot, say that's that's the thing. On your other point, uh, it's a very interesting one, actually, and we went through this, didn't we? I remember when we first started the show in July last year, it was the hottest topic. Laurel Hubbard's uh, participation at the Olympic Games was the hottest topic. As it uh, came to pass, uh, Laurel Hubbard did participate. Laurel Hubbard failed miserably, and uh, I won't say it died a natural death be- uh, because it was there was always things um, simmering around. <clears throat> but um, it, it is it is obvious that uh, you know you, you get people like Lord Sebastian Coe coming out. I mean, he's highly regarded, highly regarded around the world in athletics, etc. Just saying, it's just not an even playing field. It just simply isn't, and they don't know enough about t- testosterone yet and the um, the levels, etc. Yet to be definitive about it. But it just seems to me, Zaid, uh, you know. It, they're, they're going to actually, until we become more informed about it or more acceptive of it, they're going to be left out in the cold, transgender athletes, because there simply isn't enough of them. You know, when it comes to big team sports, etc., um, you know, there, there isn't enough, I would have thought, to, to form too many teams to have a viable competition as such, you know. No, uh, you know, it, it's a, it is, it's a, it's a curly one, as you say, Zay. Thank you very much for your call and... Uh, to Neville as well uh, this morning for taking the time to call to it. It's 9.45 here on SENZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 9.50 here on SENZ. One of our favourite callers is John from Auckland. John, good morning to you. 
Yeah, good morning, Smithy. Hope the Hawksbay is treating you well. Um, but chilly, John, quickly, but chilly. <laughs> actually, it's quite chilly up here in Auckland, too. Uh, just quickly, mm. mate, um, just on this uh, issue with Australian rugby, it's becoming a bit of a farce, isn't it? I, I see that he's speaking from from France, um, the Australian representative. Um, is he trying to uh, extort some more cash out of the New Zealand representatives? I'm not too sure, mate. But whether he's um, putting a plough of play at hand or or just trying to show his muscle, he doesn't really have much to lean on, does he? Um, yeah, well, Australia's got a couple I don't think... I think you're actually right, John. I mean, you know, what is the value of, of Australian sides that lose all the time anyway? I mean, you know, uh, one of my things would be to say, um, Hamish, uh, get some teams winning on a regular basis. Get some teams uh, who are competitive. Get some teams who are going to threaten to win the competition. You had one this year. So, you know, in terms of the Brumbies, you had a, a really good They were close, and they? Had they been given a penalty in the last couple of minutes against the Blues, who knows? Who knows? That final might have been in Christchurch last weekend and they could have had a team in there. Would we be saying that now? I suppose you'd be barking up for, for more and more money because of that. Well, exactly, mate. But then uh, if you play devil's advocate and say they do go and have a break-off, I'd say um, Moana would stay with us. Obviously, they're based here. Fiji and Drew would probably stay with us. And then... Why not have a Super Rugby team out of the Hawks Bay and another one out of Tauranga, mate? Well, it's uh, it's not within uh, outside the realms of uh, possibility, uh, John. To be perfectly honest, that uh, they could build another uh, a few. We were going to have to play internally. Then I think they could almost do that. Uh, I, I I could be thinking that they could perhaps build another. Uh, franchise, call it the Bays or something of that nature. You know, uh, Bay of Plenty, Hawks Bay, the Bays type franchise, and and do it that way, um, and perhaps leave the other side to the Chiefs. Um, and and I, I I totally agree with you there. Uh, I totally agree that there's uh, a prospect for doing that kind of thing, mate. We're going to take a break. Um, thanks very much for your call, John. Uh, and when we come back, we'll have a multi just prior to ten o'clock. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know, you got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, yesterday I'm sad to say that we went with form in the Stanley Cup Game 3. We took Colorado Avalanche to beat Tampa at 187. Well, Tampa actually walloped them. Uh, they beat them 6-2, to two, and I think the big bet at the TAB from uh, Brendan Popple yesterday, the information coming through, it was a six-goal and under uh, massive bet on that. And, of course, after uh, just uh, three minutes in the second period, there'd been four goals scored, then five uh, and so that quickly blew out to eight. So anyone that bet on uh, six goals and under got a pasting as well as us in our multi. Uh, today we're going to go uh, double-double here. Two games of baseball, two games of tennis. So the Red Sox to beat the Detroit Tigers today at $1.49. Minnesota Twins to beat the Cleveland Guardians, they're called these days, as opposed to the Cleveland Indians. That was very naughty, wasn't it? So that's at $1.59. Alex de Minor, the Australian, to beat to Sonigo. Uh, this is at uh, Eastbourne in the tennis at $1.43. And Alexander Bublik to beat Jonathan Mil- Milman 
at a dollar forty-eight. So dollar forty-nine into dollar fifty-nine into one forty-three to one forty-eight comes out at five dollars and one cent. Red Sox, Minnesota Twins, Alex the Menor, Alexander Bublik, to baseball, to tennis. So uh, that's uh, the multi for the day. We'll have a panel, of course, uh, coming up in the, the next hour, uh, and uh, some opinionated gentlemen at that too. Uh, we have, uh, of course, got Andrew Gordy there, Patrick McKendry. Uh, we're also going to be uh, talking to Bryn Hall after the break. Of course, uh, Bryn departing New Zealand shores to go to Japan to play rugby on the back of a wonderfully successful time at the Crusaders. Bryn Hall next. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 10.03 here on SENZ in the mornings as we march through towards the midday, of course, when Mark Stafford uh, takes over. I'm really pleased to say that our next guest is uh, on the line waiting for us, uh, one of the best servants that the Crusaders have had in the last uh, six years or so where they have managed to continue to take titles. It's just been a brilliant time after time performance, regardless actually of uh, how the odd game has gone throughout the competition. You always know at the end of the season uh, that the Crusaders will be there or thereabouts and mostly it's there. It's there at the top. And Bryn Hall has been such a big factor in that uh, during his time there. It's uh, been a wonderful time for him uh, of course, but it's ended. Uh, So uh, good chance to catch up with Bryn and uh, and say good morning, mate. First of all, it's now Wednesday after Saturday night. How are you feeling? Hey, Smitty, mate. Um, I'm feeling a lot better. Um, I must be honest, my voice probably hasn't recovered just yet, but um, probably, yeah, the first three days were pretty good, but now it's kind of just uh, detoxing and getting in a few saunas and um, getting it all out now. So, But now feeling a lot better. Well, Brent, it's not very often we start a, an interview with this, but I'm starting it with a, a text from one of our uh, listeners, Jim from Tamuka, who says, Congratulations, multi-super champion Crusader Brin. You gave it everything every time you played, and you should be mighty proud of the effort. The very best to you and all you do for the future, brother. So that's one of our listeners, uh, and it's pretty indicative, actually, of, of the way people feel about your effort, mate. So it's been a terrific time there. Oh, thanks for those words, yeah. I think, um, look, look, Smitty, I think for me, yeah, coming about six years ago, you know, it was a pretty um, awesome opportunity for me to be able to to be given an opportunity to play for the Crusaders, and you know, I held them in such such high standard growing up, and um, even when my top of the Blues, seeing what they wore about, and then you know, look, if you would have told me six years ago that would have been playing in six finals and winning six championships, um, I would have laughed at you because um, you do dream of of those things, and I guess you know your goal every single year is to win championships, but um, to be able to have the success that we have had, and to be to be just a little bit of a part of that. Um, I'm going to be forever grateful for this club because I love everything about it. I love all the boys from top to bottom, the management, the um, organisation. Uh, they've only done um, great things for me. So um, I'm really glad that I was able to, to go on a note like that and, and winning a championship on my way out. It's a classic story, Bryn, of how one door closes, another one can open up for you. I think it's a great example to, to any sports person, really, because you know you, you were in there at the Blues, things went ticking over as you want, and all of a sudden you get called in and say, look, um, not for us next year, not for you next year. At that point, what were you feeling? Yeah, it's a really good question, Smitty. I think, um, look, I think for me, I look at my first probably two years at, at the Blues, and you know, I was really fortunate to have Pity Weeper there at, at the time, and like he was great for me around coaching and I guess more so um, learning learning the game and being able to pick his brain for the first two years. And then for whatever reason, for the next two years when he left, um, 
just felt that I wasn't kind of uh, progressing in my career and probably at that time was thinking that am I thinking about the game in the right way am I, am I overthinking stuff and then because um, it was probably kind of a message that was given to me around just just stop overthinking and um, just play rugby but um, for me I'm, I'm a little bit of a different player I like attention to detail and I probably crave it as, as a player and then I guess when I moved down, down south and I guess the kind of conversations that I was having and the kind of delivery and the messaging that was heading on, it was it was exactly to a tee of what I needed. And so that's probably where I found that I've just been able to improve it in this environment because um, coaches, players, um, it's all attention to detail. Um, how do we get better growth mindset? Um, and probably those probably key things there um, was something that really resonated with me. It's probably seen the best footy that I've had in my whole career since I've been down at the, uh, at the Crusaders. Hasn't been without competition within the group, though. You've had a, a hell of a battle with Mitch Drummond. I mean, it's like it's like a toss of the coin. A, a heads, tails, you know, heads you're playing this week, Bryn, tails you're playing uh, this week. Uh, Mitch, is it, was it like that? I mean, is it, how, did that, how did that sort of pan out over that period of time? Yeah, look, I think um, I'm really proud of what um, Jeremy and I were able to do the last six years because um, you are right, Smitty, we're both bloody competitive and um, we both wanted to start and we both wanted to play as many minutes as we could and um, we were able to do that in trainings. We went hammering tongs in games and trying to play to the best of our ability and, and form. But um, I guess for us, and probably can speak on behalf of Jeremy as well, is that whoever started or whoever came off the bench was a bigger picture. It wasn't about our individual accolades or what we wanted. Yes, we're competitive and wanted to play, but for whatever was better for the team, um, that was probably the most important thing about it. And whoever whoever was deserving of starting and playing well, um, the other guy got right behind him and saying, hey, mate, what do you need for the next couple of days? Or what do you need to, to be able to play really well on the weekend? And so I guess when you've got that kind of relationship and kind of selflessness between the both of us, um, it's quite infectious for the mm. team, I think. And um, been able to have the, that kind of ding-dong battle for the last six years, but at the same time, off the field, we're really good mates. Like, even after this, I'm going for a round of golf with them. You know, so um, a lot of people can think um, a competitive position like that, you're not mates and you kind of don't say good things about each other, but I can't speak highly of him and I really aren't, I'm not the player I am without Drummy and how he's pushed me the last six years. Fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Look, I reckon when you look back on your career at all the titles that you've won, etc., I think probably the last fortnight of rugby best illustrates the Crusaders. I mean, to me, you started in both of those games the defensive effort uh, two weeks ago, um, the controlled effort in a grand final situation probably, I think, highlighted the values and, and the strengths of Crusaders rugby, for me anyway. Yeah, this, and I think this time of the year well, when we're the final series, is, it's, a different, it's a different feeling, it's a different, uh, it takes a different kind of uh, mindset to be able to win, win those games. And the, the margin of error is so small and so um, it's kind of the, you're not going to get any fitter, you're not going to get any stronger. Your game plan really isn't going to change that much. You'll tinker it to what your opposition is, but it's more so just the defence. Defence wins championships and your intent to be able to, um, to do it over and over and over again and being able to do your job. So when you live in those three, um, those three kind of attributes, and that's what your kind of mantra is for the finals week. Good things tend to happen um, when you've got that kind of mindset. And so, um, and then probably one last thing is probably the preparation side of it, because you're not training as much and you're probably tinkering off a little bit with your load. You're allowed to have that more around the conversations with each other, whether it be with your mini unit, an individual player, or something that needs to be done in that in that map defensively or on attack. And so. Those kind of conversations just happen throughout the week and it happens a lot. And so you probably see, on, I look on the weekend, for example, we all just looked in tune because we're prepared for that. We're prepared for any situation. We're prepared for the wet, prepared for the dry. 
and we prepare for every kind of situation. So um, you just get a level of confidence, Smitty, when you've uh, got that deep, deep preparation and those kind of things that I talked about around effort, um, you know, defence win championships and um, you've got an intent to, to get up and do things over and over again. Um, it leads to really good things happening. So, you know, we always talk about Australian sides coming to Eden Park and the fact they just can't do it. They, it just seems that there's something there on those blades of grass that they just cannot walk across quickly enough or, or do well enough. Uh, what about uh, the Crusaders' approach to going to Eden Park? What was the talk there? Oh, we took it as an awesome opportunity. And, um, and I, I don't say it's lightly, but, um, you know, we probably wanted the, the Blues to beat the Brumbies, if I've been honest, because... Yes, it would have been great to be back at home, but I think the fact that um, they beat us in the, in the start of the year, it would have been great to go up to Eden Park and play them in a final because, um, look, it's a hostile environment. It was a blue team that's playing really well, and um, you could tell that Auckland was really behind them. So the kind of uh, mindset that we had for the week is that it was an awesome opportunity and we were excited to go up there, but we knew that we had to take something from them because they played so well. And if we kind of just went up there with a similar mindset of what you do throughout the year, we're probably going to get the job done. So the kind of mantra, mantra through the week was we're taking it from the garden, we're taking it from them. And so that was kind of our mindset the whole weekend. Um, yeah, I think probably the only disappointing thing, and that's probably us as, as Crusaders men, is that we would have loved to have kept it to zero um, because I think it was deserving of that with our defensive effort and how, how clinical we were. But I know those boys will, those boys will be um, thinking about that for next year and um, you know they'll be building and wanting to get better because... Um, you know, a lot of teams are chasing the Crusaders, and, and so they should be. But I know that group and that coaching staff, they'll continue to want to get better and we'll strive for excellence moving forward. Just for the youngsters that are listening, uh, or those people aspiring to be fantastic halfbacks as such, you talk about attention to detail has been one of your strengths and one of the developing strengths you've had in your game. For instance, the box kick. You've regarded as perhaps the best exponent of the box kick. Uh, around at the moment, your, your accuracy level is very, very good in terms of the kick chase, etc. How often, how hard do you work on that particular skill? Yeah, I've worked on it, worked on it a lot, Smitty. I think you know every day I'm out there, whether it be um, you know getting at in, in in game or um, after the after training sessions, just being able to nail my technique. But I guess for the young listeners, it's more so you've got your own technique. So you're going to have a lot of coaches that will try and implement a few things and Tinky, which is great. And, you know, you take as many information, as much information as you can from that. But I think as a halfback, once you've got your technique and what it looks like, then it's just repetition. It's been able to take as many reps as you can at trainings and in scenarios and games. And then the more that you do that, you, you'll find it more confident. But I guess for only my experience when I was younger, I had a lot of tinkering. And it's going to happen because, you know, coaches are really great and you've got great information and great knowledge. But um, I think for young guys coming through, whatever your technique is, and you find it works for you, stick at it and just take a few little things that you need to from people that you trust and uh, that you really value, and you just keep going at that. But it's repetition, Smitty. Uh, like no different from a batsman or a bowler, you've got to be able to get the mm. repetition in there and um, just keep, keep getting the work and doing a lot of work around it. Bryn Hall, uh, approaching 100 games for the Crusaders, one more season, uh, you'd have got the magic mark. Uh, so any, any, uh, any, what were your thoughts around when you made that decision? Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, I probably didn't think, I didn't actually think about it too much when I was uh, making the decision, but um, it slowly just crept on me and I kind of saw that I was in the 90s and then um, it wasn't until then I kind of realised, you know, I, I haven't had got a lot of what-ifs in my, in my career, Smitty, I think. Um, I've done everything that I needed to, but um, yeah, walking away, it, it, that's probably one thing that I might think around, like, what if I did another year? But 
I think I'm getting to that age now where you know, you've know got to start thinking around different things. I've played professionally here in New Zealand for 10, 11 years with North Harbour as well. And so um, I just felt it was the right time. I've played 100 games for, for Super Rugby. And look, it would have been great to get 100 for the, for the Crusaders because it's such an illustrious group to be a part of. But um, it just felt like it was the right time for me to, to move on. And um, I've done everything that I needed to in that jersey. And, and to be honest, to go out at Eden Park and where all my family and my friends where it all started, probably could have been a better way to, for me to finish my career in New Zealand. On that note, though, how hard is it going to be to fly out of Christchurch for the last time, knowing you won't be back to play for that franchise? Yeah, it's going to be tough. It was, it was quite an emotional week last week, if I'm being honest. I think um, I probably have had accepted that I, that I was heading away, but probably with the you know, like last two months. But I think it was just more so, you know, understanding you know, it's going to be the last rugby, training in the rugby park, uh, last time with the boys, last game, and then um, even in the, having the... Um, the drinks and that kind of stuff after the game and then um, with, the, with the partners and the, um, the management for our final interview awards. But like I said before, I think we're making my decision. Um, I think I'm just, you know, I'm ready to go and I feel really at peace with, with the kind of career that I've had here and knowing that I'm, I've got a really awesome opportunity that I'm looking forward to to head away overseas. And, um, but look, it's going to be hard. To, um, it's going to be tough watching the boys, but um, yeah, I know that they're going to be in a great place and I can't wait to see, um, I can't see them, wait, wait for them to see how they go next year and for, for the future. So, in terms of the future for Bryn Hall, how how does it uh, how's it looking in the next year or two for you? Yeah, it's going to be heading overseas. Um, I think yeah, I'm heading over to Japan. Um, that'll probably come out, you know, whenever that our club wants to decide to, to announce that. But um, yeah, that's what it looks like for me. So the next two years, I'm going to head over to Japan, and I think even Tony Johnson actually actually probably started this run of it coming out in the media because he said it in in the, in the commentary. So it's kind of forced my hand to probably come out a little bit earlier and and, and say it, but. Um, yeah, I'm just really excited. Like I said, um, it's a really good opportunity for me to experience something different. So different from actually when I left the Blues, I was ready for something new and have had a great career at the Crusaders and have grown as a person, have grown as a, as a, as a man as well. And, and now it's time for me to enjoy a different culture that I haven't experienced before. I've been there once, um, with the All Blacks in 2018 and, and loved the culture when I was only there for 10 days. So to get the opportunity to, be, to spend two years and immerse myself in that culture, um, I'm really looking forward to and seeing how the future plans out for me in, in Japan. I see Bryn Hall at some stage uh, in the media. Uh, I know you've got a successful podcast. Uh, I know you've done panel work, etc. in the past. Uh, what about in five years' time? Yeah, I think that's probably, I'd love to go in that direction. I um, you know, really enjoy, I'm really passionate about rugby and I, you know, a lot of people call me a codehead and I um, you know, to have those opportunities to talk on a podcast and to talk about something that I love, I really enjoy that and I've got a great um, ability to do that with the Aotearoa Rugby Pole with Ross, Carl and, and James, like you, like you alluded to, and um, have had awesome opportunities at commentary as well on the sideline and been able to then talk on live on the field. You're not, you're not playing, but you can feel that you can feel that energy and you can get a taste of it when you're not um, when you're not playing. So I'd love to do something like that, Smitty. Uh, I know Israel Dad goes pretty well in, in the old radio space with you, so um, we'll see what the future holds. <laughs> but um, I love I love just talking about it and having some really good opportunities to be able to try and um, do some media work. So I'm looking forward to hopefully um, continue that while I'm overseas and when I'm back as well. I think that show needs a halfback, mate, to be honest, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> Uh, hey, look, Bryn, fascinating uh, talking to you. Uh, I, I can't uh, speak highly enough of uh, the attitude you've had with the media. You've always been uh, fantastic, very forthcoming, easy to deal with, uh, and I think it's a reflection of just uh, what you've been able to achieve on the field. Uh, mate, uh, all the best for the future. 
Congratulations on a wonderful time with the Crusaders. Not everyone will be able to look back on any stage of their life uh, like that, that period of time that you're going to have. Uh, travel well, stay safe, uh, all the best to the family, and uh, more importantly, play well this morning, eh? Well, yeah, yeah, it's the most important thing. But no, thanks for those words today. I really appreciate it, and um, thank you very much. Yeah, cheers. Bryn Hall there, folks. Uh, one of the terrific guys of New Zealand rugby. What a stellar career. What an absolute stellar career with the Crusaders. So many titles. At a time when Tana Umanga said to him, uh, we, we were actually going in a different direction. Thanks for your time. Uh, he must have walked out of that door thinking, what next? You, you could hear the passion for his, uh, his love for rugby in his voice. He must have been thinking as a young guy, what next? Uh, and then, of course, we know what happened next, as well as playing for uh, New Zealand Maori uh, as well, uh, 87 games for North Harbour, St Peter's College, um, 32 games for the Blues. That is a hell of an effort, a hell of a contribution to New Zealand rugby. We've got a panel next. It's 10.19 here on SENZ. Andrew Gordy with us this morning, Patrick McKendry and uh, Andrew Gordy. Uh, originally, when uh, Hamish McLennan, RA's uh, Rugby Australia's uh, chairman, made the statement that we're thinking about leaving, some people were saying it was a shot across the bow to get uh, a bigger slice of the pie as such. But he's come back again and uh, he's laughed off comments from former All Blacks, etc. Where do you think this is heading? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question, actually, and I'm, I'm not sure I've got the answer for you because... Um, it's really intriguing, isn't it? He is completely bullish about this, despite what seemingly every other stakeholder in Australian rugby is saying. He is, um, you know, ploughing this, this role alone, really, isn't he? Um, I'm not sure where it's ending up. I, I'm very sceptical of the timing of his comments, obviously, you know, um, shortly ahead of a, a, a Super Rugby final that no Australian team was in. I'd certainly understand the challenges that they have in their market compared to our one because uh, there are obviously other sports that that they are in strong competition with, you know, rugby league and and AFL being the two major ones, obviously. Um, They're not getting as much money as they feel that they should um, and their teams are losing. They've been better this this year, um, but they are not successful and it is very hard to attract new eyeballs and, and maintain the eyeballs that you have on your sport when your teams just simply aren't succeeding. So I guess he's looking at it and going, you know, super rugby and, and there was a, a surge in interest in Australia when it, was, when it was only Australian teams playing because, well, they were winning. Um, and so they think that they can cultivate, I suppose, this, this ecosystem where... <laughs> You know, the noise is it's a bit of an echo chamber, I suppose, isn't it? You know, you can't get beaten if you're, if you're not playing the best teams week in, week out. Now, that feels like a short-term play to me and a very taking a very insular view. Um, but he does have, you know, there's some merit to his argument because he knows very, very well, especially now that South Africa is not part of the competition, that New Zealand rugby does need Australia uh, to have a successful super rugby competition. And... He probably is looking at the fact that, yep, New Zealand rugby pulls a decent number from Sky and that New Zealand rugby has just had a massive cash injection by, you know, to a degree, selling, selling a, a, a massive part of them, selling their soul, so to speak. Mm. And so he's, he's looking at New Zealand rugby. They're cashed up. They need us. So he's using it as an opportunity, I suppose. Do I think Australia will ultimately walk away? Probably not. But I think they're ready to negotiate um, and, and play hardball with New Zealand rugby. 
Yeah, it's interesting that from our side of things, Patrick, uh, we've just heard one comment out of Mark Robinson, our CEO at this point, nothing from our chairman as such, just to the extent with, uh, let's not play this out in the media, uh, you know, let's sit down, talk about it, and we're, the way we've sorted out other issues in the past, but uh, the Australians, Phil Kearns included, seem to want to make it very public sort of spat, if it is that. Yeah, I can understand New Zealand Rugby's approach, um, because I think it was the approach really which um, played a big part in creating this problem in the first place really when you when you go back and look at Ren Timpey's um, actions and comments towards Australian rugby um, and his, his sort of attitude of we don't really need you um, it was that perceived arrogance really which is which has kicked this off and, and I do understand um, Cleaner's point of view I don't think it's sustainable um, because there's no way Australian rugby is going to get better playing amongst themselves. Um, I think we saw some sort of green shoots of improvement this season. Um, you know, the Brumbies were, were a pretty good, pretty competitive outfit. Um, we saw some good stuff from the from the Waratahs and Reds as well. So I, I just can't see how they can improve playing amongst themselves, and certainly not on an international level. Um, now I guess it is all about timing and um, with with England arriving soon as well, which would be a highly anticipated series. Um, but you have to think, you know, if, if, if the Aussies just played amongst themselves over the last um, sort of five or six months, what sort of a chance would they be of beating England over three tests in Australia? I, 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 just, I just can't see it happening. So uh, it's, it's interesting. It's entertaining from a, from a bystander's point of view or a media point of view. Um, but really, I, I just think it's probably simply um, sabre-rattling really, and it, it seems like a prelude to, prelude to uh, negotiations. Mm. Uh, Patrick, uh, before I let you go, there's a, another test match tomorrow night. Um, I, I don't think the World Test Champions, current West World Test Champions, can afford to be whitewashed in England by an England side that prior to the first test match seemed to be a rabble. Uh, this is important. I'd, uh, I'd feel for a draw at this point, Smithy, to be honest, having watched two tests in which New Zealand appear to put themselves in very strong positions, if not unbeatable positions. To see them sort of slide so quickly at the end was uh, disappointing, to say the least, um, because I don't, I don't think it's a great England team either. You know, they've, I think they've shown real vulnerabilities at times, Um I know there's been a big, a lot of noise about McCallum's rival and, and things, but I, I just, I, I think New Zealand will be very disappointed with how, how things have played out. They've had some great opportunities uh, to win both of those tests, and they haven't taken them. So, yeah, I mean, a whitewash would be quite, quite disastrous, as you say. I, I, I think so. I'd, I'd be sitting for a draw. Yeah. Okay, uh, Gord's uh, Wagner, yes, and um, what after that? Absolutely, yes. Neil Wagner's got to be sitting there going, what have I done? What, what, has he offended mm. Gary Stead in, in some way or the selectors? I mean, what does this guy have to do? I mean, he has, he has nothing to prove. He has, won, he has won test matches for New Zealand. He has, he has been, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm saying things that have already been said by 100 other people before, but he's a hard-on-the-sleeve guy. He's a, he's a competitor, and he's the guy that you want in the trenches, and they're in the trenches right now. They're in the trenches. They're, they're the World Test champions. They're 2-0 down. The series is gone against a team who were an absolute rabble coming into this test. And part of me actually wonders, is Brendan McCullum just in the heads? Has he managed to get into the, into the New Zealand 
kids, I suppose, um, ahead of this? Have they been sort of outplayed mentally in this test? I wonder. It's, it's. I, I'm really struggling to put my finger on it. But look, you've got you've got a few players who are obviously. Well, you've, you've got Devin Conway, obviously. Michael Bracewell is recovering from COVID. Um, and you've got Kane Williamson coming back as well. And boy, is there some pressure on his shoulders. I mean, I, you know, I was on this panel last week and, you know, Mark, uh, Mark Watson gave a, gave a pretty strong opinion on Kane Williamson. I'm not quite there with him, but the, the point is, Kane Williamson has a bit of a point to prove coming into this, uh, into this test match. Um, he's going to be leading a side again that, as I say, is, is 2-0 down in the series looking to avoid embarrassment, frankly. And um, he's, he's going to have to live his, lift his game. He's got, you know, Ben Stokes and, and in particular Joe Root, who, yeah, who is creating um, an interesting narrative, I suppose, for Kane Williamson at the moment. Here's a guy who's been relieved of the captaincy duties and, and is playing um, some of the best cricket he's played in a long time. And, yeah, that, you know, whether, whether you agree that or not, that that is something that should happen with Kane Williamson. Personally, I don't, but... The point is, he's got to go out there and show some leadership and, and show us that he's still one of the best batsmen in the world on, on his day, for sure. Um, yeah, there is an awful lot to turn around here. And, and, and But yes, to, to go back to the original point, I, I'm really scratching my head about Neil Wagner. And I, and I get the sense even that some of the other players are scratching their heads about why Neil Wagner hasn't been included in, in the first two test matches of a series against England that now we find ourselves 2-0 down in. I mean, he's... He simply has to come back into the side, and I think we'll see a response from him, and I, and I certainly hope we we'll see a response from the team as well. Andrew Gordy, Patrick McKendry have been our panellists this morning. Gentlemen, thank you very much for those considered opinions. We'll have another panel same time tomorrow morning, and it's 10.43. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, time to whip through a few texts that we've had this morning. Great interview with Bryn Hall. Tragedy is never an all-black. Great service to the Crusaders, New Zealand Maori, and, of course, uh, North Harbour. Best of luck to him in Japan. Totally endorse that. Just writing down a list of halfbacks, actually, and uh, uh, it's pretty impressive if you, you look at the depth of halfbacks in this country. If you consider Smith, Fukutawa, uh, Christie, Weber, and Perinara are all above Bryn Hall and Mitch Drummond, how strong are we? How strong are we? And uh, I guess um, it would be nice to see those guys behind a pack like the Crusaders when it's uh, got all its cylinders operating. But if they're any better than those two, I'll go he. It's as simple as that. They have been terrific servants. Uh, Smithy, uh, here's one from Heath. Uh, regarding Chinaman bowlers or left-arm wrist spinners, I believe there are so few left-arm wrist spinners because of coaching. I was an under-14 rep Chinaman bowler in Auckland, but the coaches couldn't work out how to best improve me, so they changed me to a left-arm orthodox spinner. My age group rep career fell away pretty quickly. I wonder how many have fallen through the cracks due to a lack of coaching ability to coach the art form. Hope Rippon goes well. Michael Rippon goes well. Heath, totally endorsed those thoughts, and I probably agree with you. Uh, you just turned up. You were so damn good and so skillful. They got confused and said, we can't cope with this. Uh, simple as that. Uh, Wardy from uh, Wellington has uh, texted in, uh, said his Black Caps team is Latham Young, Williamson, Conway, Nichols, Mitchell, Blundell, Southey, Wagner, Patel, Bolt. So uh, with Blundell at seven, six uh, specialist batsmen at such, and four bowlers to do the job, Southey, Wagner, Patel, and Bolt. Interesting. Okay, it's uh, 10.50 here on SENZ, Louis Herman Watt, and Pip Morris before 11 o'clock.
Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is time for the jingle, in fact. Uh, we're going to play the jingle. Come on. Come on, uh, play the, the jingle for us. NZ update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Uh, all I can say, all I can say is Louis Herman. What you can have him back when you want him. It's as simple as what that. Have well, I'm so many, what have, what have you done to him? What have you done to him, Smithy? I mean, I don't know what, what, what jingles, jingles, jingles. Oh. You play jingles for a reason, Joey. Oh, Goodness Jingle me. Joe, just go and Jingle Joe. All right, that's a, uh, Mr. Bo Jingles. We should call him Mr. No Jingles. Uh, here's the thing. <laughs> Uh, let's get on to <laughs> let's get on to what we're really supposed to be talking about here is uh, the fact that uh, Pukekohe first that Pukekohe is about to jump. That's jumped. Ten races and all. It has jumped. Okay. So I hope you didn't have a tip in it for us. No, no, I didn't. I got a tip in race three for you though. Magic Ace. Okay. Oh, drift. Tokyo Drift. Right. Magic Ace. We got a two. We get two dollars seventy, and then the top end race four as well. Uh, another little drift. Right. Are they saying that the, you don't want to be a high weight today? Well, you probably don't. We all know that. But me, Liberez in race number four comes out of a great form race, as does Magic Ace. Cake by the Ocean and Billy Bunter beating these two narrowly in their last couple of starts and have gone on to both have huge performances. Some of these. So uh, race three, number one. Race four, number one. They're my two for today at Pukekohe. And El Rose for Marsh. He is leading them around the bend at Pukekohe. I'm the first. Okay, a tissue. Don't don't go away. A tissue coming up uh, for a Group One chance at Eagle Farm on Saturday in the Tattersalls Tiara for Chris Waller and uh, the Go Racing team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be awesome, wouldn't it, to see? Um, look, she's been a funny mare. Doesn't didn't want to leave the stalls at one stage. Uh, she's been hard to train. She's but she's always had way more ability than than not. And um, look for a tissue to get a Group One over there in the Queensland Carnival. I know some of actually one of Izzy Izzy's friends uh, will join me on Saturday morning. Kurt, now he's in the ownership, and I know a couple of people in the ownership of this mare, and they love her. So hopefully she can get mm. the job done for a big group of owners, Smithy. Okay, Louis, thank you very much for that. I'm uh, going to head across to the TAB now and join up with Pip Morris as we do on a Wednesday morning. Uh, Pip, uh, not just not there just yet. I better just uh, continue. Oh, she isn't there. Uh, Pip, good morning to you. 13 races at Palmerston North. First one going a tick after midday, so busy day there in the Manawatu and pretty quiet on the sports front, is it? Yeah, it certainly is at the moment, Smithy, for the sports thing. Good morning to you. Really looking forward to Palmerston North. And nice to see Matthew Roberts coming up with the team too from Canterbury. I think he's got plenty of chances throughout the day, as does Lisa Koa. Quite like big time a Lockie who resumes even a later race, box number seven. And for the sports side, yes, we are quiet, but there's been some early bets on the state of origin. $10,000 and a same-game multi at $2.25. New South Wales for over 10.5 points. Under 49 and a half total points in the game, and four or fewer total tries. New South Wales plus seven and a half to cover that point start. It's a really big play there, and 75% of the money, interestingly enough, is head to head on New South Wales, despite Queensland taking out the first game. And Tao, Tedesco, and Gagai are the best back so far, Smitty, for the first try scorers. So. But maybe 
Do you have an? Uh, do you have a, a a preference there? Are you a, a maroons girl or blues girl, Pip? I'm a blues girl. I bleed the Panthers. So considering they've got seven starting Smithy, uh, I am a huge blues fan and I'm hoping they can come back. I just think Nathan Cleary was a little bit quiet in that first game and, and maybe at the carousel, I think, to change the right way for the hooker there and Damian Cook coming off the bench. So I'm hoping New South Wales can stick in it and we can take it to game three. Great, Pip. Must talk league with you one morning. It's cool. Thank you very much for your input. Have a great day around the Palmerston North uh, Greyhounds as well. Actually, Pip usually calls a few from there as well. Uh, look forward to that. Uh, we have got uh, the new Highlanders coach uh, on after the break. That is, of course, Clark Dermody uh, out of uh, Southland Boys High, um, out of Southland, out of London Irish, um, out of the Highlanders. He bleeds the Highlanders, so let's hear from Clark Dermody. After the break, uh, we'll have a stump smithy just uh, around 11.30 this morning. That's if Joey can remember to play the jingle. Uh, and uh, we'll put 100 bucks from the TAB up for grabs there. Yes, uh, it is 11.03 here on SCNZ. And yesterday, the Highlanders announced the Southlander Clark Dermody as the new head coach of their franchise for a three-year term. Uh, Clark Dermody takes over from Tony Brown, who finishes his two-year tenure to dedicate his time to helping coach Japan ahead of the 2023 Rugby World Cup, alongside another former Highlanders head coach, and Jamie Joseph. Uh, Clark Dermody's been with the Highlanders since 2014, working his way through the organisation to now have the top job. He's with us now, uh, and uh, we uh, thank him for his time this morning. Very busy man, Clark. I know you can't stay with us for long. Uh, congratulations. Great news. Yeah, no, thanks, Smithy. Um, yeah, stoked to uh, finally, I guess, to be announced and to be able to um, start getting into it. I would imagine when you left Southland Boys High all those years ago, you had aspirations of uh, propping for uh, Southland and the, the Highlanders at some stage. What about coaching? Was that ever on the radar for you? No, not really, to be fair. Yeah, when I was first playing rugby, I sort of came back and, and Coaching wasn't really on the radar, and then um, got approached by Dave Henderson to start with Southland, and then Brad Moore, and actually Jamie, and then uh, as you sort of summed up at the start, it was pretty fair, just sort of working out through the weeks, and now sitting at the top of the log. What are the biggest challenges for you down there as uh, you begin this new task, mate? Well, in terms of perhaps, can we first talk about player retention, player recruitment? Yeah, so um, yeah, we're, we're pretty settled as a squad. The guys we've had this year, we're, we're not actually losing many, um, which I think is exciting. We've got a good uh, group of young guys in there that um, a lot of them sort of first stepping their super players this year. And whilst we didn't get the results we were after, we were in a lot of these games. So uh, all the years we really experience into them, um, pretty confident they're, they're going to do an awesome job. Uh, and still realising. Um, and have room to try and grab a bit more firepower to complement those young guys. Okay, so what was lacking, you know, in, in those big moments, those those ones that you, you you had a real distinct possibility of winning. What what do you think the, the key mo- key moments were, or the key factors were, and you're not getting across the line? Um, yeah, not big things. I think. Um, well, what one would be belief for those young guys. Uh, now having been through and been in those moments, hopefully, um, you know, I, I guess a bit more belief that they're actually good enough to compete and and beat 
the Crusaders when we had that chance and beat the Hurricanes down here. Um, we were close to the Blues, you know, it's, it's games like that. Um, with another year into them and being more confident, pretty confident that we can turn those result, results around. You got two current All Blacks, both in the same position, basically, in uh, Aaron Smith, Falau, Fokatava. What about the the X Factor depth? Are you confident you've got X Factor down there? Um, yeah, X Factor is probably not something we really produce, to be fair, in the in the deeper south. So it is an area we feel like um, we're on the lookout for, for sure. Um, what we know we have got is a, a group of boys that. Um, work really hard, and that's part of the DNA of the Highlanders. But I think you're right in that. Um, what we've got an, an awesome group of uh, young players coming through through the under twenty ranks. Um, still not real expected players, so yeah, it's definitely an area to be looking. I guess, Clark, the other thing is uh, the ability to build depth in, in all areas as well. I don't think we saw a much better um, indication of that than with the Crusaders this year. I think they were down to two 19- or 20-year-old locks at one point because they just lost so many position, uh, people in that particular area. So is that is that part of your, uh, y- your doctrine as well, to continue to build that depth and attract players down there of a young age as such? Yeah, so... Um through the, the, our high-performance program, um, with Kate Drew, um, Joe Wheeler was helping them, but no longer. And Diego Bryan, um, we've actually started that process so three years in. We're starting to get those guys coming through now, Solomon, Fabian Holland, um, Sean Withy, guys that played for us this year. And then, obviously, there's another group coming through in the next two or three years. So um, that will help grow our depth. Um, but... I think all teams are the same, mate. We've definitely felt the squeeze of um, different competitions going into the, the Japanese, uh, um, even in the American competition, sort of pulling out that extra tier of players. So, um, yeah, depth was tested across pretty much all teams, I think. You'd be pretty excited about uh, the front row talent available to you, uh, you know, bearing in mind you were one, of course, Clark, back in those uh, those days. Uh, and a lot of people saying that um, the front row that you've developed uh, this year were as good as any. They outplayed the Blues on a couple of occasions, etc. So that's not a bad starting point for you. You must be happy there. Yeah, it was. You know, it starts up front. So um, it's definitely something we've uh, put a lot of time into in the last two or three years and uh, making sure we get that balance right. Obviously, we're losing Liam Coltman, but Andrew McAleo... Uh, and Rhys Marshall did an awesome job for us this year. Car star still on board. Um, looking forward to getting uh, Jeff Thwaites back, who has been away all year with injury, um, who's uh, hugely talented as uh, tight head as well. And also into that, um, Paddy Paddy Parkinson back from injury, hopefully next year, right. um, who will add a bit of bulk and behind those guys. Which, um, as we all know, the front row is one thing, but you need a bit of weight in behind it as well. Outside uh, your two half-backs, of, sort of, of course, with that star quality, what about your, your pivots, your, your Marty Banks, your Mitch Hunt-type position? Uh, uh, what are you looking at in those areas? Um, both still with us. Um, we've, yeah, well, I think we're first to acknowledge we didn't quite play well enough this year, and, and that put a lot of pressure on our on our teams. Um, I know they pretty much the quarterback of the team, and everyone um, has their say on how they went. 
but um, and they'll say themselves, uh, probably not at their best. But when the team's not playing well, it's hard to shine. It's um, I think you've seen two really really good teams playing in the final on the weekend, and, and one um, wasn't able to operate because the rest of the team wasn't quite fronting. So. Our focus is playing well as a team and, and we feel like we've got the right guys to be able to uh, run us as well. Clark, one of the uh, other um, uh, things, I guess, look, we're only a, not even a week out from uh, you know the grand final of, of this year's competition, but uh, I guess you've got to start looking at, at uh, a lot of areas uh, right from the get-go, including your, your assistants. Have you, have you uh, formalised uh, the, the guys that are going to work underneath you as such? Uh, still in process, mate. To be fair, uh, we've yeah. So we're just just last week went through our reviews, um, and yeah, it's an ongoing process. Hopefully, in the next couple of weeks, we'll know for sure who it is. Um, really excited with um, the people that are potentially available. So it's just a matter of I guess finding the right people for our team and working with myself. So uh, yeah, it's ongoing, and hopefully, we'll be there in the next couple of weeks. If I look back on Southland rugby, uh, I look back at uh, blokes who are sort of personified by the fact that they roll their sleeves up, get stuck in, and, and don't uh, don't back away from a challenge as such. Is that the Clark Dermody type of theory that you've brought up with, or do you have to change your, your way of thinking in that regard? No, very, very open-minded, mate. Obviously, that's been bred into me, so it's hard to turn away from that, but um, also... Pretty good understanding of being here as long as I have. Even in the, the eight, nine years I've been at the Hollywood, uh, the actual makeup of the players has changed. Um, the new generation coming through um, can't quite treat them the same as, as well, definitely we got treated, and uh, even when I first started. So I guess the biggest thing is making sure we've got real strong relationships with our players. Um, they care for the Hollanders and the region, and I think that shows them how you play. And I think that's what our public want to see is um, a team that's committed and, and really care about what they're doing for the team and who they're representing. So if we get that right, um, and it translates hopefully into better winning footy. Uh, that's outside of all the tactical stuff as well. 24 hours uh, into the job, I suppose we could say, Clark, um, if, if you had a whiteboard, what would your priorities be going through to... When do we actually assemble? They seem to be earlier and earlier every year. What are we looking like in November or December assembly time? And what are your priorities towards that? Um, no, obviously, first off is to get the coaching team sorted now so we can start working on um, our last few spots, or probably six or eight spots to fill through the NPC. Um, and then, yeah, uh, planning is is the main one is getting ready for I think pre season starts in December. Um, what that looks like I'm not hundred percent sure through uh all black rest or the New Zealand A if that goes ahead. But um yeah, just uh I guess putting everything together for when we start December we um are all good. The prospect of uh, coaching a, a super competition side without the Australians, uh, have, you, have you had time to think about that in the last 24, 48 hours? People have had varying opinions. Uh, personally, I, I'd like to see them stay. What, what about from a coaching point of view? Would it, you have thoughts on that? Um, haven't given it too much thought. I think we've, well, the last couple of years we've sort of had a taste of what that might look like. Um, it's I know it's hard, like playing the same teams. Um, if it was to be three rounds for us, is 
really hard. I think it's a hard watch for the fans as well. I think um, what I guess the competition showed this year was that the the gap that was there last year, or perceived gap, is uh, a bit shorter now and a bit closer. And those games were really tight um, from a coaching perspective. Uh, I think it's great being able to prepare for different um, styles of game. Um, pretty much every Kiwi team plays the same. But if, uh, well, now we haven't got the South Africans involved. If we were to lose the Australians, I think it would be a big thing. Well, Clark, it's uh, been great having a chat. I know you've got other things to attend uh, to. Thank you very much for your time this morning. Congratulations uh, on the appointment and look forward to seeing how the new era of uh, Highlanders rugby goes uh, under your jurisdiction, mate. All the very best. Thank you. No, thank you very much. Yes, uh, Clark Dermody there. Um, of course, a solid roll your sleeves up uh, sort of a guy who is now the head coach of the Highlanders. They'll be strong up front. I think you can guarantee that. They will be very, very strong up front. It's finding that X factor for them. It's finding the, the ability to win the big moments uh, after the hard work has been done. And I think uh, that is what they have to achieve. And... Um, uh, when he assembles his assistant coaches as such, it'll be nice to see uh, who the, the back's coach is, uh, his uh, backup forward coach uh, is, uh, is, is as well. The assistants are always quite a good sign of uh, how, you, how you intend to play your game. So uh, we eagerly await uh, developments down there under the roof of Forsyth Bar Stadium. One thing we know is they've got a hell of a stadium to play under. And even now, even now, if you could say one thing uh, Canterbury people and the Crusaders would be jealous of, it would be that, without doubt. It is 11.16 here on SENZ. Side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, indeed it is, and it's 11.21 here on SENZ. Uh, a couple of uh, texts to read out. Uh, hi, Smithy. The politi- politically correct terms brought into cricket really bug me. I'm not sure that the terms are gender-based. Batsman, third man, twelfth man, etc. Human and woman both have the word man in them. Are these going to be changed? Uh, Aren't these cricket terms just an abbreviation of human? I think we're really intelligent enough to work out when a batsman comes to the crease in a woman's game that it's a woman playing cricket. I've never been confused by this term, Craig. It's an interesting one. You should talk about that. And uh, it wasn't something I really discussed much with uh, the women commentators during uh, the Women's World Cup. It's just accepted now that uh, that is a term, batter, third, twelfth, etc. They're just terms in the game. But I'm not sure they have to be terms in the game when men's teams are playing. I, I think, you know, they're, I won't say they un- they should be unique to men's teams, but they could be. They could be applied. And, and uh, I don't see if there's a, a real issue with uh, with that at all. Um, whether the people still think that that's gender bias by calling a, a third man uh, a man, if he is a man, uh, if you get my drift. So, Craig, Craig I, I, I'm very confused about the whole deal. I, I know it's uh, throughout that World Cup on many, many occasions I did actually say third man or uh, every now and then batsman. And the girls that I was commentating with didn't look at me sideways. In fact, some of them said it themselves from time to time. Uh, and it's the same way that, um, you know, we called them from time to time, we called them girls playing. Uh, and we've been criticised, I've been criticised by one or two people actually to, uh, I think uh, one or two journalists have said um, that was disrespectful, it was sexist to call um, the women playing in the Women's World Cup as girls. Yet, having said that, having said that, uh, the theme of the whole World Cup was girl gang, 
that was the, the theme song that they all sang along, along to and danced to. That was Girl Gang. Uh, also, um, I, when I listened to interviews and did interviews with a number of uh, the women players over that course, and even at the end, the player of the tournament, um, Alyssa Healy, talked long and hard about the way the girls had come together in her team, the girls' group, the girls' feeling, the girls' that. So um, it was an interesting one. And I, so I, I, if they're prepared to use that terminology themselves, why are commentators not allowed to perform that at all? And I can see Araha shaking her head here. And uh, so Araha, turn on your microphone. Yes, and disagree sir. with me if you like. Yes, man. You can disagree. You can you can disagree with me if you like. Yeah. I don't uh, want to I, now. People can <laughs> hear me. Um, it's one of those things. I I think it's just about using terms respectfully. For instance, any word can be used as a weapon, right? You, you know, if people, even your name, people have had a crack at me and and purposefully mispronounced my name to try and have a go, just because they're being a racist. They go, that's right. Arrow, ha, and you sort of sit there going, oh. So even your your own name can be used, but of course I'll use my my name whenever I want to. I think it's about how we use terms and the respect implied. And if a girl uses the word girl, well, it belongs to them. They can use it however they want. A bit like, and this might be a, a hard one for some people to get their heads around, how Black America takes ownership of the N-word. It belongs to them. It was used against them as a derogatory term. It is them who take, they who take the power out of the word and has the power over how, how it's used. It belongs to them. Um and similarly for women, transgender, men, everything in between, what terms we use belong to us and we decide what, what belongs to us. Of course, you use the term, uh, if you respect someone, you'll, you'll call them what they would like to be called. But if you don't like them, you don't have to call them what they want to be called. I don't think it's yeah okay. Uh, we, I know that's complicated. We're hard about this, so, yeah. But I, I I I still struggle to see when um, players refer to themselves as uh, girls or teammates, girls as such, mm. why they would feel uh, aggrieved to have someone who's talking about them refer to them in the same way. Because the term's been used as a derogatory term against women's sports people and athletes you know you play like a bunch of girls smithy it's used as a as something that's less than so what about you're a very very talented bunch of girls you're the best bunch of girls in the world how derogatory is that well if you're saying it to a bunch of boys playing under 14s rugby what about when you, you talk to the, the blokes after a game of, of rugby and they talk about you know the, the boys were, were, went well today is that derogatory too if I was to no, say that about the, I've never uh, heard I've never heard that used in a derogatory way. So I think the important thing is if women are saying a term is derogatory to them, listen to them. You know that they know it's them, it's theirs. Uh, the same way that if you're having an issue with someone being dero- saying something that you don't like, I listen to you. You say no, I, I don't like that. Believe me, it's my story. I don't like it. We have to believe them. I wouldn't make it up. What's why would someone make up a story like that? That only makes your life harder, right? Why? What, okay. It's it's difficult unless you've been in a position where everyday terms are thrown at you constantly as derogatory terms, and people telling you to just shake it off, get over it. Um, and when people say they don't have any trouble deciphering one gender from the other on the field, I'm a softballer. 
I constantly had mm. trouble trying to figure out who I was playing with. I can say that. So mm. we had women who were in this society classed as women who would have identified on a broad spectrum of, um, in terms of gender and sexuality. Why were they in a women's team? Why, where, who decided that was the thing that puts you into a team? Why wasn't it on weight or height or how far you could hit or throw or fastest, longest, bestest? It's just it's, it's a type of it's ID politics these days, Smithy. And I know that it's arduous, and there'll be people right now sticking their silly putty in their ears and stabbing with their minds. <laughs> well, not necessarily. Um, here's here's an here's um, uh, this is a subject that we all agree on, right? Um, I, I think we all agree on. Um, uh, it's our first um, ever, ever national holiday for Matariki coming up o- on Friday. Just tell us a, a, a little bit about what that means to you. It's kind of cool. It kind of freaked me out first because we've been doing Matariki forever. We've mm. getting up in the – I can't say I miss getting up in the wee small hours, Smithy, and taking my small child up because otherwise you look like bad parent. You know, those school trips that you have to do in the middle mm. of the night? So we've been doing mm. that for years and years and years, and my child's 24 now, so I don't have to get up at that time. But um, to see such wide acknowledgement and for it to have happened so quickly uh, when it felt very underground and, and earthy, it's a huge turnaround, and a lot of people have worked really hard for it. How do you feel about it? That's I'm always curious to find out how... Uh, the, the other, if there is such a subgroup, the, how the other feels about it, because it's my normal. <laughs> yeah, okay, it's your normal. It's not. It's not my normal because it's no. the first time ever, and I'm sixty-five year old bloke. It's not like it's going to be a big factor in my life as as such. Um, you know, uh, it's like a lot of things that have uh, come to pass in the last few years in terms of um, uh, an increased need for the knowledge of uh, Tereo uh, language in our society, etc., like that, and correct pronunciation of names mm. at sporting events. And that that's how this kind of thing affects me because that's how it applies to me. Uh, so uh, I think it's just um, accepted that um, New Zealand uh, life as such is changing in that regard for non-Maori New Zealanders, okay? For, for me, I'm, I'm a non-Maori New Zealander. So uh, I see it as just a, another example of uh, the acceptance um, of life changing in this country and realisation changing in this country um, to the extent that it is. Uh, so I will observe it. Um, I'll appreciate it and I'll learn more about it and understand why we're having it. That's all I can really say. Yeah, I mean, that. the cool thing about it is you don't have to go go out and get up at four o'clock in the morning mm. just the same way that people no. don't have to put up Christmas trees. So what I like about this is that, A, it's about recognition. It's that thing I talked about before, you know, when we use um, pronouns mm. and it's about that respect, how there's kind of been, um, it shows a respect of a belief system. Um, recognition... Mm. But you don't have to go and buy Easter eggs either, do you? I do, though. No, you don't. Yeah, and I'll bet you eat them too. But there you go. You stop. Because you like them. St- stop. I, I beep sometimes when I walk backwards now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, listen, uh, just one last thing. I have had a text, and you may have seen this. Get out of her, her own F1 show. I love it. So and there you go. Uh, that was on your, our little chat yesterday. So someone came straight in after that. So I think you should uh, storm out of your office after the news you're about to read. A and go and demand your own... F- Instead uh, of the silver arrows, it'll be the silver stars. 
the Silver Stars, of course. Uh, and also, I think you should certainly have uh, a, an hour show a week, at least by yourself, uh, observing uh, Māori woman in sport, uh, Pacific woman in sport in particular. I think you should specialise on that. Can I so, use the term uh, woman, Smithy? Thank, thank you. You can do that. And if you get some... Uh, some talented young woman there, call him young woman as well because um, you get in trouble for the other option. <laughs> so that's all I'm prepared to say. Your kind, Smithy. I've Thank you. This. There's a phrase I'll leave you I've with. My, my, my cousin is Dr. Rangimata Amua. Uh, I call him Star Lord. Yeah. Um, he's the yeah. um, the man, uh, the biggest authority on, on Matariki as far as I'm concerned. But there's a phrase. We don't say happy Matariki. We say manawatia a Matariki. So that's for you. And I'll go read some news now. Okay, it's time that we did because we've overstepped our mark. It's 11.32 and here she is, Aloha, with our update. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. We have got $100 up for grabs today worth of TAV vouchers. We've also got some sleep drops if you manage to get through to question three and answer that correctly. This is the uh, last warning for our questionnaire, our quiz master today. Um, he is under severe pressure, Joe Bell, to deliver a quality product. So um, I wish him all the best, otherwise he's sacked. It's as simple as that. He's, he will be sacked from the, the game. So, Joey, uh, I wish you all the best. Um, please tell us what we're up for today, what um, our categories are, and who is on the line. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling confident today, Smithy. Um, I printed out the question so that I could hold a piece of paper because my feeble hands obviously couldn't uh, withstand the weight of the laptop yesterday. So I'm feeling much more confident this time around. Um, yeah, so we're playing for $100 um, for TAB uh, bonus bets and some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive. They're New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. Today, the, um, the categories are Golf, Formula One, and Cricket. First up is Kerry. Kerry, what would you like? Um, I'll say Formula One, thanks. Okay. Formula One. Formula One. Wow. Formula One. We should have Araha answering these questions as well. Formula One. So, okay. Uh, how's the weather in the Manawatu? Kerry, all right? Yeah, Manawatu. I'm overcast, but uh, no frost. All good. Okay. All good. Okay. Question one. Let's get into it. Question one. Who currently leads the Drivers' Championship this season? Um, okay. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Smithy, you would have got that one? Yeah, I would have, particularly if you had said it was the Formula One Championship, because there's a lot of divisions, Joey, but I would, I'll take it as you meant the Formula One Championship with Max Verstappen, is that correct? Yes, that's what I meant, yes. Um, yeah, overcomplicated okay. my bad, right. Smithy. Okay. Do I get rid of me? Okay, okay. here we go. Ferrari, question, question number two. <laughs> Ferrari has won 240 total F1 Grand Prix, sitting first on the all-time winners list. Which constructor is second? Um, One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. What do you think, Smithy? All time? All, all time? All time, yeah. All time. M McLaren. McLaren. It is. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. 
correct, Smithy. Well done. Uh, thanks very much, Kerry, for your participation this morning. The only reason I went uh, that is because uh, McLaren, uh, when, when in doubt, go Kiwi. So that's why I went for McLaren. So Kerry's uh, gone. Who's uh, next up uh, for the chop, Joey? Next up is Chris. Okay. Right, Chris from Hamilton. Chris, up for 100. One question shootout, mate. $100 and the sleep drops up for grabs and we're talking motor racing. Joey. Question number three. Which driver holds a record for the most consecutive wins? Um, oh, I'll go Lewis Hamilton. One of the worst things I have ever oh. seen done on a cricket field. Right. This has opened up the door for me, and I, I was going to say Lewis Hamilton myself. Um, but I'm thinking about all-out, all-out total dominance uh, over the years. Uh, I, I've got to go. The only other guy that comes to mind is uh, Michael Schumacher for me. One of the worst things I have oh, ever seen no. done on a cricket field. This this will surprise you, Smithy. It's um, Sebastian Vettel in 2013 with nine wins. Sebastian Vettel. Yeah. Nine consecutive year. wins. Yes. Certainly was. It certainly was. Well, there you go. Uh, Chris, congratulations. You have won $100 from the TAB in terms of uh, vouchers. Uh, you've also won, you haven't won the sleep drops because you got it wrong, but uh, at least you're 100 bucks better off for picking up your phone, mate. Uh, have a terrific day down there in the Tron and stay on the line and uh, Brian will get your details from you so we can get that money to you. Quick smart. All the best. Beauty. Cheers, guys. Cheers, uh, Chris there from Hamilton is our winner today. Unfortunately, I thought we might be out of jackpot until tomorrow, but we can't. We're back to 50 bucks and the sleep drops tomorrow. So, yeah, 11.39 here on SENZ. Uh, we will be back very shortly. Zealand's number one selling side-by-side -side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, test match coming up at Headingley tomorrow night. It's the third test match. Of course, New Zealand cannot win the series, but uh, the journalists are wanting to get hold of Trent Bolt. He's been New Zealand's bowler of the series without doubt and just get his feelings uh, on uh, what he thought uh, the attitude would be from the New Zealand camp going forward. After everything that happened at Trent Bridge, how do you deal with being on the wrong side of that? Uh, yeah, team's in good spirits. Uh, nice to get away from the game for a, a couple of days down in, in London and... Um, yeah, hard one to reflect on. I think the series has been um, exciting throughout the whole couple of games, and yeah, to be uh, yeah on the wrong side of that result is, is pretty tough. But uh, I think a lot of credit's due to, to some phenomenal phenomenal cricket that's been played there. And um, yeah, she's a good good wicket, and we didn't get enough runs to, to bowl to. So that's how the way it goes. Does it affect the confidence coming here and, and losing Carl Jameson as well? Yeah, I suppose it's hard being one or two two nil down in the series, but. Um, yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of pride in that changing room with uh, some of the performances that we've put out over the last few years. And if we're fair, we probably haven't been to the standard that we want to be as a group. And um, yeah, it's nice to have one game left in the series to, to go out there and, and play there. We, we know we can. Do you feel you have a point to prove now? Oh, not so much a point to prove, but yeah, as I touched on, just uh, those those small parts in the games where we, we know we can be a lot stronger. Um, it's probably where we need to start. So uh, nice to have the opportunity here in um, uh, a couple of days' time. Trent Bolt with his thoughts going uh, forward. He's become a bit of a, a media go-to guy, hasn't he, Trent Bolt? You hear him uh, with his thoughts all the time these days. He used to sort of shy away from uh, doing any media duties. 
Uh, but interesting. We've had some uh, texts come in as well. Uh, one from Albie saying, Smithy, I thought Ross Taylor only retired from international cricket. I noticed he's not on the CD provincial contract uh, list announced. Albie, I haven't seen that. I shall uh, make inquiries just to see if that is the case. Uh, whether he was offered one or whether he uh, was offered one and turned it down, uh, I simply do not know. So uh, I'll check into that for you. On the conversation that we've uh, just had with uh, Araha, uh, particularly uh, about the commentary side of things and the way that you use your words. Uh, George has come in and said, Smithy, I agree with Araha. Words can be used as weapons to either empower people or to degrade them. So be careful how you use your words. I think that's a good message uh, to society, George. Uh, I think you're right. It can be, uh, it's just in the inflection, obviously, and in some ways. For instance, uh, Ken has come in and said, uh, George, you'll be interested in this. Boys is used as a derogatory term all the time. For example, boys against men. Uh, when you're talking about one team playing another that was completely and utterly outclassed or out, um, <coughs> and outperformed, uh, you quite often the phrase is used, it was like boys against men. So oh, that's insulting too, um, I, I guess, in, in, in that regard. But it's Man, it's a term that's been used since day dot, and uh, I guess a lot of these things, the other message, George, that you're getting there is, is um, you know, you, perhaps we should think a, a lot deeper when we use some of these generalised terms, but, man, it's not something that, um, <clears throat> it's not something, I've, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've, I've paid a lot of attention to you, yourself. When you, you work in a job where words um, define where, how good you are or how long you stay in that job, you, you, you know, you tend to, I don't know, you look, you look at it in a different sort of a way. Um, Simon Griffin has come in uh, and said, uh, thanks, Araha, would like to hear more from you. Cheers for Smithy for bringing up a great talking point. Yeah, well, it is interesting. It is an interesting talking point, and uh, quite often you you hear, um, <coughs> you, if you open up the lines and say to people, um, talk, us, talk to us or give us your opinion on commentators or commentary, it's like whoosh, lighting a fuse. Uh, it really is, and it's one of the, <coughs> I think, the most impassioned subjects uh, that you have when it comes to talk back on sport and no, no, not necessarily sport, it could be politics as well. Uh, and here's Craig coming in uh, with his point as well uh, on Harawa's point. Uh, third man and batsman have always been cricket terms and they're ours, so let's continue to use them. When girls was used in the Women's uh, Cricket World Cup recently, it was never used negatively. As you said, it was always complimentary or was intended as complimentary anyway, I can promise you that. Like the lads in England, the guys in South Africa and the boys in New Zealand, the girls in this case was not a put down or a negative in any way. I mean, uh, you know, if uh, you turn around and said that uh, Team A was beaten by Team B and they made the, the game look like girls against women, yeah, I can see that. I can see how people would get uh, upset with that. But as <coughs> Ken has just pointed out, we've been using boys against men since the day dot. Uh, so it's a really interesting emotive subject as is uh, the the problem with concussion uh, concussion as such and world rugby have now changed and gra- it's graduated return to play protocols which will now require elite players with concussion symptoms to avoid playing for a minimum of 12 days world rugby added that no player will return earlier than the seventh day after their injury even if they show no symptoms and their return will have to be approved by an independent concussion consultant in most cases the new protocols which will come into effect from july 1st from july 1st are likely to prevent players from returning to action for their team's next game the following weekend the protocols were amended following the latest review of scientific evidence and research by world rugby's independent concussion working group 
an official said the changes were not in response to external criticism uh, of some recent high-profile cases where seemingly concussed players returned to action within a week. Tennis News, uh, Aaron Routliffe and Michael Venus have both got seeded rank, uh, rankings uh, for their particular events uh, for Wimbledon. Of course, Aaron Routliffe plays with Alicia Rosolska from Poland. They've been seeded 11th. Uh, so uh, that's the first time in Routliffe's career she has seated for a Grand Slam. Not new, though, to uh, Michael Venus and his partner, Tim Foots. Uh, they are uh, ranked nine in the world, but they're seated sixth in the gentlemen's. That's an interesting one. And in the gentlemen's um, sing, uh, doubles coming up at Wimbledon as well. Interesting morning, uh, particularly in the last 30 or 40 minutes or so. Uh, not to say that our guests haven't been great, but... Some emotive issues to bring up. It is 11.51 here on SENZ. Uh, that'll give us just enough time if we take a break now to join Staffy before he takes over. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.